This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. College at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We have seen quite a significant growth in robo-advisors in the last several years. These are automated services that can match consumers to financial products using personal data to do so. And these robo-advisors promote the fact that they can do this in a more effective and lower-cost manner than traditional advisors. And within this new arena have come concerns of fraud. But these concerns also extend to other parts of robo-advising, whether they be in the insurance world, banking, and else elsewhere. Tom Baker is a professor of law and health sciences here at the University of Pennsylvania. He's been doing work looking at robo-advising, and he joins us to discuss uh, that right now. Nice nice seeing you again, Tom. Thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, How much of a recognition of potential concern is there by regulators right now? Well, I think right now regulators are just trying to get their hands around what this automated advice is. Um, And in the... The area where they're most thinking about it is the investment uh, area where the term, you know, for most people when they think about a robo-advisor, if they think about it at all, let's be clear, uh, they're thinking about Betterment, Wealthy, uh, Vanguard's personal advisor, one of these other places where you can go on the web, take a risk and uh, uh, questionnaire, and then do your investing uh, with the advice of this, uh, you know, of this robo-advisor. But uh, the same technology can be used for matching people to insurance and to banking products. And I would say in the insurance and banking area, regulators are are not yet really focusing on the potential for automated advice. Well, when you look at the at the investment circle, then how much does robo-advising, how much of the market do they really have right now? Well, if you're talking about fully automated robo-advisors where people don't interact with a person, right. it's a very small percentage of the market. But- if you count uh, programs that help human advisors pick, then it's a much bigger part of the market that, you know, most of your big uh, investment houses don't have, you know, they have their algorithms, they have their formulas, their methods that they use, and that those are really not completely different in kind from the fully automated, you know, on the website, do-it-yourself model. But is it your expectation that we will see it continued to grow. Obviously, as you said, it's it's really kind of a new idea in, in things like banking and, and, and insurance. But will we see it continue to grow on a steady path over the next few years just because of, of the digital nature of our, our society these days? Absolutely. Uh, and although it's interesting, in the investment area, we, we people like me thought that we'd be seeing a lot more completely automated. Okay. And But what you're really seeing the growth is in the the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, the Schwabs, where they've got a person that you can talk to, right. but that it's basically an algorithm that's picking the investments and doing the work behind the scenes. And that, that people seem to still want to talk to a person. And that's interesting because a lot of people have, uh, we've seen stories in the last year or two about whether or not we were going to see the loss of investment counselors at a lot of these firms because of the the nature of robo advising and the algorithm, which seemingly all businesses rely on at this point. That they were basically going to take some of this business away from the actual human beings being there. Right. Well, I think what we're going to see is a change in what we think of as a as the person who's the financial advisor. That it's not going to be so much that. 
economics, Wharton finance major person, and it might be more a social work person, a person who's really good at helping people to make a plan and stick to it because right. who's doing the you know, investment work is really the programmers who are writing the algorithms for the robo-advising part. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can join us with a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking with Tom Baker of the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Uh, again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So in looking at the other areas, and, and I guess to a degree, the banking sector, it's not really a surprise, because if you have it in investments, banking, it's almost like a natural tie. But But with the insurance industry... I guess it's not surprising, but it's more of a, a new process to a lot of people thinking about it because there isn't necessarily that natural tie. But again, insurance is looking a lot on data points and, and algorithms as well. Right. And actually, the believe it or not, the Affordable Care Act played a little bit of a part in the insurance robo-advising, which is, you know, the Affordable Care Act set up these insurance exchanges, and yeah. the insurance exchanges are kind of, you know, a robo-advisor. To the extent there's really decision support tools rather than just you know sorts and ledgers and and you know so so your web brokers your insurance exchanges these are places where they're using tools to help match people to a financial product those tools are not as advanced in general as they could be but they're but they're moving in that direction and and believe it or not banking is is the trailing part of the really? financial services sector here yeah that you can't there are not good mortgage comparison tools for instance there's right. there there's starting to be some credit card comparison tools and some small business loan comparison tools but you know part of the thing about banking is banking they give you the money and then you pay it back right. so so there's more of a concern about automating all the way through the transaction whereas if in you know investment automated you give them your money. Right. So there's less of a concern about fraud on the part of the consumer. Uh, of course, there's plenty of concern about fraud on the other end. But, right. not, you know, w- w- whereas with, with, with banking, they, they give you the money. So they're mu- very concerned about automating the process because of consumer fraud. And, you know, some of that we saw in the financial crisis. I mean, it wasn't automated, but there was plenty of... You know, people ended up with money that shouldn't have. Now, the concern about fraud in general, obviously, the, when with all of the different hacking that we have seen gone on in a variety of different elements, the concern about fraud is there, I think, in pretty much most Americans a- at this point. Uh, the element of fraud that we were mentioning before we went on the air is not necessarily the people, but it's the actual production of the program where you could potentially see that fraud, which could catch up a lot of people. Right. Now, so so to date, the growth of robo-advisors has been by companies that are using the kinds of financial advice ideas developed by people like our Wharton Finance Department. Right. That these are good, consumer-focused, broad diversification, passive investing largely strategies that are, you know, good. But as robo-advisors grow, there's going to be room for people to be advertising robo-advisors that can beat the market. If you're selling, you know, robo-advisors so far, they're more of an index approach where you're trying to match the market, do sort of smart tax loss harvesting and things like that. The more we get in the direction of people trying to buy robos to beat the market, the more room there is going to be for fraud. And, and there are other elements, which you mentioned 
uh, in a presentation you had done recently, uh, other areas, and I didn't even think about it, things like Zillow.com, the real estate website. You know, you can go on there and obviously search for a variety of different uh, potential houses that you may want to buy or rent on, on the Zillow website, but there's also the element of the mortgage part of it, which they have incorporated as well. Yeah, so they, they have a sort of pr- uh, rudimentary, but it's the best one I found out there of a mortgage comparison tool, and it's more suggestive of what you could do. Right. Because, um, you know, a, a, a robo-advisors at their best are individualized. So they learn about you, and then they match your sp- you with the products that are available in the in the market and and right now the the Zillow mortgage comparison tool just asks you to tell them whether you want a fixed mortgage or an or or, or some kind of variable rate mortgage whereas you know what robo advisors in the mortgage space could do is ask you questions that would then allow them to match you with a product that maybe you're not even thinking about how much monitoring is done from a regulatory side right now and how much potentially more do you think needs to occur in the years to come as as robo advising kind of continues to develop here? I, I mean, the the SEC and Finra are both have robo advisors on their radar screen, uh, and they're as part of their market conduct exams. They are looking into them um, in the insurance and banking world. The insurance world, there, there's a new – the National Association of Insurance Commissioners has set up a technology task force that's starting to look at them. But right now, if, you have a, if you're a web broker, you're just regulated like you're a broker, and there's mm-hmm. not something special about the, the automated nature of it. And I don't believe that insurance regulators really have the capacity yet to evaluate whether these – algorithms are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But again, it's something that they have to start to look into. And and I'll throw out a, another example, story which came out earlier today. Speaking of the SEC, Jay Clayton made statements about initial coin offerings because of the concern of cryptocurrency. You know, so I mean, he is he is at least on his part of the agency, he is looking forward to the potential of where that may develop down the road. It's the same way for a lot of these agencies, whether it be at the federal level or maybe even at the state level where where you're talking about state insurance, uh, state insurance uh, uh, formulas that are that, you know that are watching out for the consumer in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or Delaware or wherever. Right. Well, and my and, and my mantra for this is that what I think is important is that the people who are regulating the investment robo advisors, the people that are regulating the banking robo advisors, and the people that are regulating the insurance robo advisors recognize that they have the same technology issues mm-hmm. that they need to get their hands on around and that they should be cooperating with each other. And that, that I think, you know, it's what we're seeing is that in their own silos, regulatory agencies are starting to think about this as part of the larger fintech question. And similarly, in their own silos, the UK, the EU, the United States, Singapore, Hong Kong are all starting to think about it. But we're not seeing enough sort of learning across those domains. And that's what we're trying to promote uh, here at Penn. But because of the fact that you're working off of the kind of the same sort of algorithm, same sort of programs, then realistically, you could almost have one office that is looking at with branches of it, looking at insurance, looking at the banking sector, looking at investments because of that, correct? Yeah, you certainly could. And, and what would, you know, that would take a lot of heavy lifting from a regulatory change perspective. What you could do that would be more manageable, I think, would be recognizing that there's best practices that you can learn about, right. about how to verify that an algorithm is doing what the 
creators say that it's doing, and that that knowledge could be shared across agencies. So what what are the quote-unquote, I, I mean, you would love to be able to see, a, I guess, a set of minimum standards basically set into place, correct? Correct, yes. How, how would, I mean, what would, what would that encompass in your mind? Well, we have to step back from it and recognize there's sort of four pieces to a robo-advisor. There's access to the data that you need yep. in order to personalize the recommendation. So we need to have best practices around access to data. And that's why the investment robo-advisors are so far ahead, because the investment data about the products is all public information. Right. So you need access to data. Two, there's the algorithms. You know, what are the ranking methods and looking at them. And there you need basically to involve computer science and other people other than lawyers and finance people about how to teach regulators in order to make sure that the algorithms are doing what they're doing. And then the third is what people call choice architecture, which is the decision environment that you could have an X, you'd have great data, perfect algorithm, but you could have an environment that leads people to make bad choices. So we we did a, a, colleague, a co-author of mine did an experiment using health insurance, where they switched gold and, and uh, bronze as the color right. for plans. Right. And they kept everything else the same. And people preferred the gold plans that were really the bronze plans right. because it was gold. Right. So that tells you so, – so we need to know about choice architecture. And then the final thing is privacy and security. But the, the, that, that brings up – the what you just talked about brings up a good point and, and something we should discuss is the fact that to a degree, leaving this – in many cases, into the hands of the consumer may end up being a hard thing because of the fact that the consumer, and we see this to a degree coming through what we're seeing now in 401ks, is that people don't really manage and look at their 401ks a lot. It would probably be very similar when you're talking about these investments or banking or or insurance that the people don't invest investigate enough into what they're actually getting. Right. So that's why we need to have these. You know. So the good thing about a robo-advisor is that if people choose to use it, it will provide, and if it's well-designed, it will provide good advice. But that's not enough. We need to set up that decision environment or the choice architecture so that people make the good choice. And so, for instance, now here at Penn, my savings for my retirement, if I don't make a choice, they're put into a target retirement fund, which is, you know, the kind of, yep. again, the kind of thing that, that, that our finance department here at Warden would say is a good idea. Yeah. And I can choose to do something else. So that's an example of a choice architecture. So so with robo-advisors, we need to have you know competent algorithms. We need to have good choice architecture. And then the last thing is this privacy and security that's not unique to robo-advisors. But you know, the more of our you know, financial life we put online, the more important it is that, that we have you know, both good privacy protections and security. Right, which means you have to have that the, the buy-in, well, I guess you would anyway, from the IT community to be able to be a part of this process so that we don't have the potential breakdown on this, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, the, here where, you know, for this sort of thing, we need to look broader even than financial services, you know, to our healthcare colleagues. They're obviously thinking about this too. And so, you know, one of the points that we make in our research here is that with it, when it comes to privacy and security, it's not sure that we have a comparative advantage over at the law school, that yeah. really this is going to be more of an IT focus. The, the, the tricky thing I see here is because of the fact that the digital society that we are in and all of the different technology that we have now becoming uh, to, coming to our fingertips, that always is moving ahead. And, and it's moving ahead almost at an hourly basis or daily basis, at worst, weekly basis. So 
we already know that there are issues on the regulatory side of keeping track of certain things that you know have been in play for 20 years and really the government or regulators are catching up on. So should we feel confident that we can you know kind of have the pat- platforms that we need to have and the protections we need to have going forward because of some of the issues we've seen pop up in the past? You know, I do feel that I feel pretty confident about this in part because people are to some degree resistant to taking this automated advice. Like, as I said before, the, the robo-advisors that are taking off have people as the interface. And so what that means is that the trajectory from working with a person who can cheat you in a lot of ways sure. yeah. to a more fully automated but perhaps more, in some ways, more vulnerable system is not going to take place overnight. And so I do feel that regulators are focusing on this. I would like them to focus on it more. And I would like Penn to be a place where they come to for advice about how to do that. Um, But, you know, I feel like we're going to be okay here. Tom Baker is a professor here at the University of Pennsylvania at the Law School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Going back to something I said a second ago, though, even though the consumer has to be more aware, there is a level of, uh, there's a, a level of security that they have to feel with all of this potential technology and the robo-advising. And I I think for the most part, consumers do go in with that, correct? I think they do. I think, although it's interesting, you know, so I taught a fintech seminar uh, for the last couple semesters where we look at, you know, we look at hot topics in relation to fintech. And one of the things we look at was robo-advisors. And my students who are selected into this seminar, who are therefore sort of tech-savvy kind of people, when it came to robo-advisors, they said, you know, I'd really rather talk to a person, you know, and, and I would show them all this research, you know, about how people make mistakes and how robo, you know, advisors sometimes cheat consumers, but they want to talk to a person. So so I, I think that people feel relatively confident about turning over their data and information to a large organization whose brand they trust. Mm-hmm. But I think they're still somewhat you know, questioning, can I really trust on the algorithm to make the right choice for me? Do you think that, that, well, let me ask you this, where do we stand? Uh, We talked about how with the investment sector, there is that human component in many cases. Do we have that component in some of the other areas? Like you mentioned, when we're talking about health insurance or we're talking, obviously banking, I think we do, but health insurance may be the one really to focus on if we do or do not have that. Well, so one of the things that uh, was surprising to people like me when the health insurance exchanges were set up was how few people actually bought the insurance in a fully automated way. Most people, they used the call center, they used one of these navigators or sometimes an insurance broker so that in the insurance space, yeah. people are still using people. And so, you know, one of the things that I focused on in my own uh, work is designing tools that these human advisors can use so that they can help the person make the right choice. Because making the right health insurance choice or making many kinds of insurance yeah. choices is really complicated. And actually, an algorithm can do a better job than a person. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and a lot of people, we've read the stories, are, were just confused by what they potentially needed within their health, health coverage. And you mentioned between the different plans, right. it made it th- that much more difficult to truly understand what they needed because of the conditions that they already have or maybe need to think of down the road as well. Well, and also, and health insurance plans are more different from each other yeah. than mortgages. 
So that, you know, and, you know, a thing that, and this is where I think places like Wharton are so important, is that, you know, we need good models of what makes a good insurance plan. We need good models of what makes a good banking product for someone. Similar to how we've had, we do have good models of what is a good investment strategy for an ordinary person. Um, and and that, you know, w- one of the exciting things about robo-advisors is that there's going to be a faster path from academic research into what is a good financial product to the dissemination. Because if you've got people and advisors relying on robo-advisors, you've then got a method for disseminating that. Right. You know, it's not like um, Jeremy Siegel needs to develop an idea and then we need to convince a million financial advisors right, right, to do it. Right. It's if, you know, if BlackRock, Schwab, Vanguard, you know, 10 companies have a lot of the market and are using automated tools... That idea gets out fast. Are they making that investment? Are they are they looking down that path already? Uh, well, I mean, cer- cer- certainly your your big investment houses, and I you know I keep I don't mean to you know be advertising for Vanguard, BlackRock, and Schwab, but they've made a big investment in uh, what they call hybrid robo advisors, which are uh, primarily automated systems with a human. Uh, Interface that allow people to ask questions and so forth, and that that, that that's a big investment area. But uh, but are most of those situations the the robo side first, and then the human side as the backup? They're mark they're actually marketed simply as a low cost investment okay. advisor, right? And the way that it's able to be low cost is that there's the back end, right? And that's different and has been more successful from a gaining market share perspective right. than those companies that have advertised as being automated. Tom, great having you here today. Look My pleasure. To, look forward to talking to you about this again because I know this is going to continue to develop in the years to come. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Tom Baker from uh, the University of Pennsylvania Law School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 